Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. Everybody that's listening online, we are so glad that you're with us as well. Today, would you guys stand with me? We're going to break bread this morning out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Now, we're on a series called Magnetic, and yesterday, or last week, man, Pastor did a phenomenal job of helping us understand reconciliation. Amen? How, how through the person of Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled back to God. Amen? It was really good. Listen to it about three times myself, so very motivating. Today we're going to talk about this ministry of evangelism. Now it's referred to in Scripture House reconciliation, and I'll, I'll calm down here a little bit. I've got too much stack electricity probably. Just excited to be in the house. Amen? Yeah, yeah, excited. So yeah, give the Lord a hand clap. I love it. So let's go ahead and begin 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God, uh, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made, a, he made him who knew no sin so that to be sin, so that in him we might have, know the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. God, speak to us through your word. We're excited to be in your house. Let us be receptive. Pierce our hearts and change us, God, that we could be like you. And everybody says, amen. Hey, wave at your neighbor as you go down. I don't know what to say. Shake your hand, wave. Don't hug them, though. That might be, we don't know about that. Hey, what I want to endeavor to talk to you about is this power of evangelism, okay? So in Scripture here, the first things that we notice is that he says it is a ministry, so to the individual, and it is also God entrusted us with this gift, with this gift of reconciliation. Now, as we look at this, this is a much broader scope of really the Great Commission, going to all the world, okay? Because reconciliation really is the Great Commission. It's bringing the world that was lost back to Christ, and that is what we endeavor to do. Now, I've got a wonderful story. It happened yesterday. My wife and I bought a house back in December. It has a pool. The pool's only about 12 foot wide and 24 foot long. Perfect for little family get-togethers and everything. Now, my brother, bless his heart, he has four boys. My goodness, Yes, he lives, he lives in Mustang, and they came down and joined us for the 4th of July yesterday. It was our first shindig. Can you still say shindig? I don't know. Sounds cool. Yeah. So anyways, so we had our first get-together yesterday. Lots of fun. But these little boys, I remember them coming out, and I've got to be careful not to get too emotional because as I was praying here this morning and saying, God, what, how can I, what, what do I need to say? You know what I mean? I've got my notes, but is this what I need to say or is this what I think I need to say? You know what I mean? Ever been there? And he brought this story back to my heart, brought this uh, picture back to my heart. So here's this little boy, and, and there's, there's four of them, and they walk out the door, and their ages are about 11 or 12 down to about four or five. They're handfuls, too. And the cutest one, dude, he's the most devious, man. You know, he, he walks up, we had these little squirt guns, so he walks up to me, he goes, I've got something to show you. And then he squirts me with the gun, man. Yeah, that's all right, that's all right, my feelings won't hurt. But when they initially got there at the house, they made their way through the house. I was cooking burgers in the back, and they stepped through the door, and their faces just light up because they see the pool. And they're like, well, I'm glad I came. And, and I think back to my salvation experience. 
I think back to my salvation experience whenever I met Jesus Christ and I didn't know what to expect. But when I saw him and I met him and I was no longer blinded, a smile came to my face, anticipation in my heart, oh, this is going to be good. Matter of fact, later on, that middle kid looks at me, my, my nephew, not just a random kid, my nephew looks across and he goes, Matt, I love your pool. And I was thinking this evangelistic spirit that we get to share, that's what we hope. We hope that we get to share it with somebody and they look up and say, Matt, I love your God. And this is the thing. It's not an option. We're called to do it. According to the scripture we just read. Now we know Jesus gives that commandment. But Paul says we have the ministry of reconciliation. And not only that, he's entrusted you with it. That means despite our faults, our failures, our lackings, God says, dude, I still love you. I'm going to use you. Matter of fact, it's so important to think about this. Why are we here on earth? Because we know we're imperfect and we have faults, amen? Matter of fact, we, God's smart enough to know that even after we get saved, there's going to be times where we still make him look bad. We make heaven look bad. I know I have. So why, why did why, upon salvation, why did he just snap me from the earth, God, and get me to heaven and it'll all be good? Because he's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus walked on the earth in John 3, 16, we know it. John 17, for there there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Actually, that's Romans, I'm sorry. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn it. That's, never mind. I'll just stop. If I can't quote it right, I need to stop. Right? That's the reason why you pay attention to your notes and you don't fly by the seat of your pants. That's the reason why. Let's dig into our notes here, okay? Hey, just being honest with you guys, man. Just being honest with you guys. Three things I want to endeavor to do today, okay? The first thing, the first question to ask me is how does this life of evangelism, this life of reconciliation that God's called me to, how does that help me fulfill to live in the full promises of God? That it is a part of this life that God has called me to. And it's a very big part. Matter of fact, so big before he ascended, he said, do this. The next thing I want to talk about is how come I see myself many times I can't be, I'm not as fruitful as I need to be in the ministry. Anybody else? Oh man, I get to that spot, dude, the right on the edge, fixing it, receive Jesus, and I get nervous. And I'm a preacher. That's bad. It's like a used, that's like a car salesman trying to sell a car. And right before he makes the deal, he's like, no, I'm done. It's bad, right? But sometimes because of the push and the pull, this magnetic thing that we've got inside of us, makes it really hard. Anybody else? Anybody else? But the more you do it, the better you get at it. Amen? Then you get to that point where you do it so much, you're like, oh, I can't wait, man. He's about to say yes. But you can't act like that because then it freaks them out, right? But on the inside, that's, that's on the inside. It's on the inside. Just... Okay, and then we're going to talk about three practical ways that we can live out this entrusted mission. How many of you guys like practical stuff that you can actually walk home and do, right? That's what we try to do here. We want to walk this out. So last week we talked about this reconciliation. We talked about how we're a new creature. We talked about how the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You guys remember that? So good. We also ultimately understood that it was all about God's love. That it was through the person of Jesus Christ that we now get to have communion and relationship with a very loving God. But the second half of that is he wants to use us so that other people can have a relationship with this very loving God, right? We're supposed to share it. So that was last week. So why are these things, why, why do we push and, and feel so pulled to it? 
And I believe that Paul reveals in, in this scripture here that it is our calling. It is something that's built into each one of us that we can't get rid of. It doesn't matter how hard we try. If we're running from God for some reason, we still want to tell people about God. Why? Because it's this thing that we can't help that's deep. Up on the screen here, they're going to show a picture. And on that picture is an 80-foot wave. These waves are off the, off the coast of Portugal. Some of them could go as high as 90 feet. And if you look right here in the middle, you see that little white line? That's a surfer. He's riding this 80-foot wave or so down. Matter of fact, it's the largest recorded wave. If, if this is that picture, it could be an example. But you see the, the, the enormous wave. You see how it dwarfs the light tower. You see how the silhouettes just almost don't seem to exist in, the, in, in this thing, Right? Matter of fact, these waves are so dangerous, what they do is they take a guy on a sea-doo and, and then they, the surfer is on a surfboard on a tow rope and they get him started down the wave and he lets go of the tow rope and then the, the, the sea-doo gets, gets out of dodge. You know what I mean? Because ain't, it ain't happening if that dude falls, right? Okay? He gets out of dodge and he pulls out of the way and that guy's riding that wave down. And it was very interesting to hear these guys speak because what they were talking about, this one particular guy, he's talking about riding these waves and he's like, it really doesn't feel like I've really lived until I've done it. There's something inside of me that I can't, can't describe as what he was talking about. That I feel alive when I'm in the middle of it. And I was thinking about my walk with Christ and how alive I felt upon salvation, amen? Oh, but how much more alive I feel when I see somebody else encounter salvation and their life change. Now I've passed life from me to life to them. And I would say as a Christian, oh, if you've never done that, let me encourage you to. I don't know if you've lived. <laughs> to, to see somebody, whether it's at the altar, you've been praying and fasting for somebody, seeking God's face, crying out for them. Whether it's just one of those moments where God prods it in your heart and it's right place, right time, right? That happens. Somebody else waters, somebody else plants, but you get to see the increase. It doesn't matter because I've passed life on and we get to truly live. But it doesn't make sense, right? I truly live by passing life on because we live in a world today that would say, no, you truly live by hanging on to as much life as you can get. Putting it in a bank, so to speak. But Christ says, no, that's not how we do it. You have a ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry of it. And we have to go out and take, take it. Take the bull by the horns, right? But this is the thing. How do you live in the middle of the pool? Because there's a push and pull, right? Magnetics, man. We know that the different poles repel each other and they attract. And, and, and inside of us, it's that same turmoil. Where I don't want to go back to my life and my old life and I'm repelled by it. But yet secretly, in some ways, there's some of those things that I'm still attracted to. I'm trying to still fight down, you know, deny yourself and pick up your own cross, Right? And you're fighting that fight because you don't want to go back because Paul, ugh, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but he describes it like a dog returning to its vomit. That's how much it disgusts God. And you know that. We know that, right? But we've got this push-pull, and it can create some turmoil in our lives. So how do we live in the middle of this push-pull, but yet still do it with love? Well, we don't look at people who are lost and say, well, they're lost. Because sometimes, although we might not say that, our attitudes say that. And say, God, how can we help that people do if they're lost? 
because it can manifest itself in so many ways. That push-pull is very real. Amen? Let's go ahead and get started. Why does walking in this ministry connect me to the full life God, um, God has allowed me to have? And we know that this is through Christ. He reconciled them. Uh, through Jesus Christ, we've been reconciled to God. But we see that Christ, excuse me, that God still makes the first move. Last week, whenever we were reading out of Genesis 3, 8 through 10, it said that we know that Adam and Eve sinned. But what happened? After they sinned, who came looking for them? God. Matter of fact, we know that in that verse it says that they were scared, right? Because they heard a sound. They heard God walking, trying to find them. It helps us live the full life of Christ because we sometimes realize that we have that fear, amen? That when we've done something that we know that could separate us from God and not pluck us out of His hand, but now there's a wall, there's some kind of form of communication that's been broken because of something stupid that we've done. We feel that fear and our initial desires to go high. Just as Adam and Eve did. And as we're talking to people, and we're sharing this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to them. We can help understand that we know where they're at. Because it's scary. Two things that I know that are scary when you get close to God. You find out who he is and you find out who you are. You find out I'm not holy and he is really holy. <laughs> right? And he's way more powerful than I am too. Right? But we find out those things. And if you've never met him before, then it's very scary. But they heard this sound. They, and they begin to be fearful. But this is the good news about that, because Proverbs 9 and 10, super famous scripture, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They were just beginning to walk in the wisdom. At least their first move was towards wisdom. Let me put it that way. Because they begin to understand the fear of the Lord. Then we see in Matthew 28, or, yeah, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore make disciples of all nations by baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason why this is all connected to my, the full, fullness of God in my life is because it proves that there is something inside of me that I did not put, that God built inside of me. That once I became the new creation that Paul talks about, once I begin to put those old things away, or they've passed away, they've, been, uh, they've, they've died, they've been killed, if you will, which is not very good grammar. Then that new creation that has now been inserted into my life through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, part of that is I've got to tell you about Jesus. I've got this ministry of reconciliation. Whether we like it or whether we don't like it, whether we understand it, whether we're good at it or not good at it, there's still a part of us that we've got to tell people about Jesus Christ. And there's nothing we can do about it. And until, and, and if you're shy, I understand to a degree, uh, I used to be shy, I got over it, I don't know how that happened really, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, but I used to be, and I couldn't, you know, I wasn't even funny, was it? Anyways, I used to be, okay? I used to be. It was funny. I used to be. 
But this is the thing, this built-in thing, whether you're shy or whether you're not, until we begin to walk it out and try it and try it and try it. And pick a mode. If it's teaching, do it through teaching. If it's one-on-one, which everybody should be doing that anyway, it's one-on-one, okay? There's a lot of different ways that this, this can manifest itself in our life. But we can't hide behind it. And we see that with Moses. God's done everything for Moses. He said, oh, I can't talk straight. He goes, I'm going to give you Aaron. God wants us to succeed in this. He wants us to do it. It's part of that fullness of life. But the reason why is because it's built in. We can't shake it. We can't shake it. Next question. What keeps us from being fruitful in our ministry then? If we know that this is a built in part of our life, there's nothing that we can do to get away from it. God's made it as part of our life. Then why do we seem to be unfruitful in it? I think the very first thing as I was passing through this and thinking about this, I was thinking of this thing called shame. Shame so many times keeps us from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, from walking fully in this ministry of reconciliation. Sometimes we just don't feel like we're worthy to do it. Have you ever just woke up and and saw things that God's done in your life and thought, man, I am not worthy. And then you have that opportunity to share this gospel with somebody. Maybe it's to close the deal of salvation. Maybe it's to water. Maybe it's to plant. And then you begin to think about shame in your life and just think, man, I'm just not worthy. We don't have to rely on that shame. We don't have to let that shame control us. That's a weapon of the enemy to keep what God has intended, what he has put in our life to become to other people so that they could meet Jesus. Does that make sense? Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the uh, consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Anybody ever done anything foolish, right? There's two different ways shame can come into our lives. One is an outside force. You're carrying around shame from something that you had no control over. Somebody abused you physically, sexually, emotionally. Somebody, somebody bullied you to the point that there was almost no coming back from it. That, that shame that, that involves the decrease in self-esteem, the, the disorders that come from it, right? OCD and these type of things. And then depression sometimes sets in. And you have that shame that really you had no control over. And you're in the process of leading somebody to Christ. You're in the process of just, man, you've met this person and you know they're not saved. And you know God's been working on you and you're about to mention something. And then all of a sudden all these thoughts thoughts float back in your head. You say, you can't do this. You're not worth anything. Look how much value somebody saw in you when they said this, this, and this, when they did this, this, and this. You're, You're not of any value. And it stops us cold in our tracks. But we don't have to let that stop us. Because we know through a laundry list of scriptures, right, that we are valued through Jesus Christ. That Christ sees a value in us that nobody else sees. He sees the potential in us that nobody else sees. And it's times we quote like that and say, no, I'm not going to let the shame win. I'm not going to let the shame win. There's also another shame, come self-inflicted shame. We go back to that last part of it where it says foolish behavior. So I got saved in the eighth grade, walked down the aisle of Fair Baptist, made up my mind that this was it. I'd prayed the prayer before then, didn't really mean it, I guess, or maybe I was conflicted. I can't tell you. All I know is when I walked down the aisle that time, I'm in it. 
I said, I'm not going back, I'm not looking back, I'm, not, I'm just going to be saved. Well, how many people know that between 37 years old and 8th grade in, a, in junior high, you're going to mess up again, right? That's that self-inflicted shame. So many times I've, I've been in that place where I'm about to share the glorious gospel with somebody, and that's really how you think about it on the inside, right? Oh, man, you know that can change your life. And you're about to open up your mouth. You're about to buy them a burger. You're about to make an appointment with them. You're about to, to talk to them, to speak to them. And then you begin to think about all those foolish things you've done. And that shame begins to stir back in your life. And we begin to think, can I really share the gospel here? I mean, really, I'm, I'm supposed to share the gospel? But, but look at this sin that I just... And then we start playing the what-if game as opposed to repenting on the spot and saying, Christ, you're still greater than my sin. You're still greater than that shame. Because what we can use is that shame can, use, it can move to an excuse, and we don't want it to. We don't want it to move to an excuse, especially whenever Christ, through 2 Corinthians there, tells us that everything is a new creation in Christ Jesus. So whenever I repent and I'm in Christ Jesus... I become new. So now that shame of stupid stuff that I've done in my past, that I, and, and let's be really real, let's be really real. I knew some of it was sin when I did it. Ooh, if we, that's some of the hardest times whenever you think of all that stuff that you knew you shouldn't have done and you did it. It's sometimes not, as Pastor put it, it's not always the life BC or before Christ, right? Because I was ignorant. But now I walk in the light, as Scripture says, I'm a new creation, yet it's that push and pull. I'm pulled to my old life. I shouldn't have said that out of anger, and I did. I shouldn't have gossiped, but it was so good to tell people, right? Oh, it was so juicy. I had to. God will understand. And in that moment, that's what it feels like. I've got to share it. And you do. And then you're empty. And you're even more empty because you realize you just emptied out another person. And you carry that shame around with you. Instead of really getting real and saying, God, I'm going to repent for this. I'm serious about it. And then in those moments, whenever we get to share the message of Jesus Christ, we can look back. And if that pops its ugly head up, can say, no, I am a new creation. I realize what I did was a mistake, but that no longer has control over my life. Yeah, it was a mistake, but who controls my life is Jesus Christ. And then begin to open up our mouths and begin to lead that person. Amen. But that shame, we've got to take it. Hebrews 8, 12, it says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. That's God writing to his kids. He's going to be mer merciful. He, he knew this before he began, right? Isaiah 32, 17, the fruit of the righteousness will be peace. What does that mean? I'm sitting in that moment wanting to share the evangelistic message, and I have peace come over me. Why? Because I know that's no longer what controls me. It was a mistake, but I can have peace. I walk in peace, amen? And peace and, and being calm is what helps us share this message, amen? So whenever we're self-imposed, a self-imposed sin, We've got to move on and say, no, God, you can, we, you, through you and not through the devil. Amen? Okay. B, the second one here is fear. Just flat out fear. Fear keeps us from sharing this message. 
And fear manifests itself in so many different ways. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, and fear of loss. We encounter all these things whenever we want to share this gospel. Uh, am I dressed right? Am I, am I speaking right? Am I saying the right words? Am I doing it at the right time of day? Uh, does this person like coffee? Do they like ice cream? Should I take them out to lunch? Like, have you ever done like all these weird things pop up? Because we're afraid, if because we understand the consequences are so great, right? We understand the consequences of people not being reconciled, what that means to them. But whenever we allow those little things to overcome the message, now hear me out, whenever we allow what I'm dressed in, what I'm going to say, all this stuff, I'm not saying don't be ready, but whenever we let that become the spotlight, that then becomes the God that we're going to share. Now all of a sudden we're sharing a God who you have to be perfect to serve. As opposed to going in there and saying, this is what happened to me. I would love for you to jump on God's team, and this is how you do it. Then you show a very imperfect way to serve a perfect God. And that's what he wants. Amen? Amen. You've got to be careful about those schemes. And rejection and loss, we've got to get past that fear of rejection. Because some people will laugh in your face. Some people won't understand. And some people won't want to listen to you. But we have to remember some water, some plant, God sees through them too. So we've got to get past that fear of rejection, but it can really keep us in the fear of loss. And in the world that we see, you could lose your job. You could lose some friends. You could lose some of these things. But if God speaks to you and you know it, you have to deliver the message of Christ. We cannot let fear control us. Amen? This is the thing. Turn fear and flip it on its backside. Use it as your fuel. Instead of fear of what I'm going to lose, look at that person and say, look what you're missing out on. Look what you're missing out on when you come and serve God. When you serve Jesus Christ. The next one is easy. Procrastination. How many of you guys are procrastinators? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Okay. I used to be, I used to be a procrastinator, and I still struggle with it to a degree. I really do. When I was in, in Wichita Falls, Texas, man, I was chasing a master's. I was just two or three years into marriage. We bought a new house. I, went, I started teaching special ed. I was transitioning even jobs during this time. I thought I had the world by the tail swinging it around, man. I did. Oh, it was so great. And then I entered into procrastination. Now all of a sudden, some of the things that I should have got done, I didn't. And I didn't. And I didn't. And the next thing I know, I'm two years into this thing, or a year into it, and I'm broken, man. I'm in depression, I've lost 20 pounds, I'm not eating, it's horrible. Part of that was procrastination, this is what the Lord spoke to me during that time. He said, Matt, procrastination will take you to a destination, but it's not for visitation. Procrastination is going to take you to a spot, but you're not going to want to stay. It'll take you somewhere, but you're not going to want to be there. Procrastination, when it comes in the world of evangelism and what we try to do when we share the gospel, it's the famous line, I think I can do that tomorrow. Maybe right now is not the best time to do it. When the opportunity is looking at you in the face, staring you down. 
James 4 and 17 says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Straightforward at you guys. Whenever we know that it's time to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with that individual, and we don't, we've entered into sin. Which is a very hard pill to swallow. Because whenever it's time to share the gospel of Christ, whenever it's time to, to really walk in our ministry of reconciliation, it will not always be the most comfortable, easy time. Whenever I was in uh, just a brand new youth pastor down in Texas, I had a young man that I was dealing with, and uh, we were out fishing on the bank of a creek, uh, doing something like that. I think we were bow fishing or something, which we really weren't bow fishing because it was like in town, it was like maybe perch or something, I don't know. It felt, we felt cool, you know what I mean? And we felt cool, and we kind of had this silly rig up. Anyways, it was a lot of fun. But I'm sitting out there on the bank with him, talking to him, having a good time, and he begins to open up. And I can't remember the exact reason, but I shut him down. And I didn't do it rudely, I just shut him down. And then the next day, we had time to continue that conversation. And you know how much he wanted to talk? None. I learned something very valuable in that. Especially with teenagers, when it's time to talk, it's time to talk. Put your stuff to the side, whatever can wait, let's visit about this situation. But what did I do? I procrastinated, missed the window of opportunity, thought I could do it tomorrow, maybe a week from now, and that's not true. The Spirit opens up those doors, and we get to walk through them, amen? So the third thing, so the third thing here, what are some practical ways? If we know that there's this built-in thing that we have that we can't fight to call people, if we know that there's so many different reasons why we can, uh, why we can run from it, then what are some practical ways that we can become successful? What are some practical ways that we can become successful? The first thing here, we, we, we have to really, honestly, truly believe with our hearts that this is an entrusted mission. That, God, you believe in me when I do this. See, just the confidence of walking in that alone will help you start conversations. It will help you start uh, praying for somebody. It will help you start looking up in the world and, and seeing a lost world. And we all get busy and we all get distracted and we all have these things, okay? We've all been there. Nobody wants to be separated from the group on that. But we cannot continue to live in that life. And saying, God, you've really entrusted me with this. So now this is going to become a priority. And like anything else, this, the other day I was messing with that magnet. We, we tried to get a magnet and I tore the speaker thing off of it. And I was using the pliers beside the magnet and using them and using them and using them. And you know what happened to those pair of pliers? They became magnetized. What principle can I draw from that? The more I read, the more I pray, the more I see God, the more I become like Him. So the more I think about evangelism, the more I want to reach people, the more I read about it, the more I ask God how He did it, the more I'm going to want to do it. But it all starts with that confidence that, God, you really believe in me enough to take the greatest message that's ever been shared, and you're asking me to share it. That's great news, man. Except for we're imperfect, right? But God still trusts us and loves us enough. So the first one, what is it? How do we do practical? We petition. We petition the Lord. Let's read Philippians 4 and 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Many times as I read that scripture, it's primarily for me because I need something. 
I need a miracle. I need God to bring me through something. I need, I need. But let's read it through the eyes of evangelism. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication. So now, as God lays on my heart to begin to speak into people's lives, I can say, Lord, please don't make me, please let me be, get away from anxiousness. I don't want any anxiety. I, I don't have to say the right things every minute. I, I don't have to look a specific way. All I need to do is share my story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And help me not have anxiety if they reject me. Help me not have anxiety if they turn me down or even if they laugh in my face and shut the door. And then when I do that, I go in that prayer life and I bow down and I say, God, help me do this. And I do that with supplication, with humility. God, I'm making this request known to you. Help me not to be anxious in this. It's not about my presentation. It's not about every word being correct. Matter of fact, God, I'm so excited because I get the opportunity. It's petitions. And then the next part of that petition is bring that person's name before the Lord. Say, God, I really want their lives to be changed. And this is a great prayer to pray. I don't want their lives to be changed because it's easier for me. I want their lives to be changed because I want them to go to heaven. A byproduct is they're going to change and make stuff easier. But I care enough about their soul that I want them to change because I don't want them to stay in a fiery hell. Amen? So you bring that petition. The next one is we communicate. We communicate. We communicate. Listen, we communicate what we watch, what we listen, and what we read. Right? So what are you watching, listening, and reading? If we want to become better at evangelism and sharing this gospel, then let's read about it. Let's watch things about it. Let's study it. Let's read it. Let's get into our quiet time and meditate and, 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 and see how God did this. We also have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the principle behind that is it helps me be sensitive to the situation. If I'm aware of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's doing, talking, speaking, moving, then I'm also aware of that other person. Does it make sense? Okay? So if, if, I can, if I'm talking to somebody about Jesus Christ, and I'm aware of the Holy Spirit moving in and it's becoming gentle and kind, then I could probably read maybe from that other person. I'm not talking about cold, weird readings, okay? But I do know that, 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 that the Holy Spirit wants that person to, to know Jesus Christ, so I could sense a little bit of fear. Now I can start praying in my spirit about that. I can say, God, I sense that you're moving, that you're opening up a gentleness and a kindness because maybe the last person that delivered the gospel to them was not very nice when they did it. And they're on edge and they're wanting to see what you're going to be like. But being sensitive to the Holy Spirit brings me aware of that situation. And the final one is we bless. We bless. We, com we, we communicate, we petition, and finally, we bless. Proverbs 25 uh, 21 through 22, it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, very quickly, I just want to break this scripture down for us, okay? First of all, it, the number one thing he says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Why would he say that? I think I have to look to the New Testament whenever I see that Jesus says that he's the bread of life. Go ahead and feed him monetary things. Help him, bless him. Because what's going to happen is we're going to feed that person. We're going to create a, a, a material blessing for them. And then they're going to look at us and say, wait a second, I thought 
fulfilling my need would bring me the happiness and joy that I was looking for. And then they'll look at you and see that you gave it away because it wasn't a big deal because your joy and your happiness is not found in that. It's found in your walk with the Lord. So whenever they get to that point where they're empty and now they've tried everything, plus you've built a bridge to them, now they're going to look at you and say, okay, I was hungry and that didn't help. But then he goes on, he says, listen, if he's thirsty, give him water. Long story short, that guy can look at you, that woman can look at you and say, I've been thirsty, you've helped me. I've been hungry, you helped me. And it's still, I still have this emptiness inside of me. What am I missing? You're missing Jesus. But this is the kicker on that when we do these things. It says that, it, it likens it to like we're taking coals and putting on somebody's head. What's the principle behind that? As you're blessing, they're going to get angry. I know if somebody dumped coals on my head, I'd be angry. I'd be frustrated. I'd be confused. That push and pull that happens inside of you as a Christian, it's much easier to deal with because we know we can go to Jesus. That push and pull inside of them that begins when we bless them, they don't know how to deal with. So it could come out as anger, as frustration, as aggravation. And God prepares us for that. But what does he say? Keep blessing them. Keep blessing them. Find those ways that you know as you're looking at your friend, as you're looking at your family. Now, I understand there's a fine line between enabling, and I'm not saying doing that. But there's that line in there where you know you could just keep blessing and keep blessing and saying, God, I'm going to walk. I'm not going to have a failure of loss or a failure of rejection. Shame of who I was, I'm just going to keep blessing and keep blessing and keep blessing. And whenever we do that, we see the principle that we see that confusion, and this is where we'll end. Whenever we see that person operating confusion, aggravation, frustration, what's going on? The God that they're serving is surfacing. Because God's not a God of anger, frustration, or confusion. God is a God of peace and order. And as that stuff begins to surf and begins to stir up in their life, and then they're looking at you and seeing that you have peace, understanding, and order, they're not going to always know how to handle it. But take a breath and know that you're doing good. But be ready, because the way that manifests sometimes is not going to be very polite. And if that person doesn't get saved through that experience or through your walk, the results are God's, not yours. Take a deep breath. The results are God's. I'm going to plant. I'm going to water. I'm going to walk in faith. But God, you're responsible for the results. Would you bow with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.